Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 27. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Let us pray. God, we simply ask this morning that you would refresh us in our understanding of Jesus' call on our lives. Refresh us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you really think your life was meant to be one of destruction and despair? The person in handcuffs said nothing in response. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a ride along with a local law enforcement officer and responding to a, a situation, dispute situation, and got everything settled down. They brought the individual in the car. The officer knew this individual from previous run-ins, and you could tell there was a lot of frustration and had just come from an emotional emotional fight, and there was a lot of emotions flowing around, a lot of anger going on in the car and outside of the car, and I uh, was wondering, okay, how is, this gonna, how is this going to work? Well, the officer asked a very simple question. The officer asked the individual, do you think your life was meant to be full of destruction and despair? Officer asked the individual that question. The individual said nothing. Quiet in the back seat. Went on. The officer continued to fill out the report as we sat in the car. About 10 minutes later, still nothing. The officer asks, Do you think this is exactly what you should be doing? Do you think this is exactly what you should be doing? Nothing. Silence. Moments later, all of a sudden in the back seat, you could hear this guy start to cry. He just start saying to the officer, no, this is not good. I, I don't want this anymore. And you're saying to yourself, well, of course, you're in handcuffs, you're in the back seat of a cop car. That's a pretty prime opportunity to recognize that you don't want this for your life. However, I've been in the same situation on other ride-alongs, and let me tell you, they're in handcuffs and they're in the back seat, and they're not quite realizing that this is not exactly what they should have with their lives. It was a pointed question, a very pointed question that began to seem to begin to work on the individual's heart and the individual's mind. Basically, the officer was asking in a very behind-the-scenes way, is this is what you were created to do? Obviously, the individual had some physical appearances and some painful appearances that were probably giving the indication that, yeah, this is probably not what I was created to do. We've all probably heard the phrase, they're doing exactly what they were created to do. They are in their sweet spot. This morning... The question that the officer asked that individual is actually the same question that we should all ask ourselves. 
Are we doing exactly what we should be doing? Or in other words, am I doing what I was created to do? The challenge for the majority of us is that we get distracted very easily. Have you ever noticed how you can go from one thing to the next thing very quickly? How the main thing can become a side item really quick and then that side item can become another side item very quickly? We take a lot of walks around our house now because we have a little two-and-a-half-year-old and I've never understood the purpose of walks. I mean, you're not getting anything done, think. And so in order to handle these walks, I thought there's only one way to do this, right? Pick a spot, get there as fast as you can, turn around and say, we've got to get to that spot as fast as we can. However, with a two-and-a-half-year-old, two steps and what? What's that? Two more steps. What's that? One more step. What's that? That's the same stick we looked at three steps back. Their mind is going all over the place. They're so easily distracted. Have you forgotten the goal, young lady? We're trying to get to that tree. So easily distracted. They take their mind off of the main thing. But the same is true for you and I today. We are so easily distracted by the sights, the sounds, and the feelings. Stuff that we can see, stuff that we can hear, and stuff that we can feel oftentimes overwhelms us and takes us off of the main thing, what we were created to do. So what were we created to do? What do we so easily get distracted from? This morning, as we look at a story about Jesus interacting with a tax collector, we actually hear for ourselves what all of us were created to do. We actually hear for ourselves what all of us are intended to be doing. We hear what is the main thing. And why is it that we can look at an interaction of Jesus in one person and translate that to ourselves? Well, the reason we can translate that to ourselves is because of the one in the interaction, Jesus. Because Jesus is saying these words, and because as we learned the last couple of weeks of the authority and the power and the greatness of Jesus, we can understand that what he says for one person also holds true for you and I today. He says something very simple to an individual that gives us what we are created to do. Two words. Luke chapter 5, 28. He says to Levi, follow me. We've all heard this before, right? We've heard many stories about Jesus approaching other people. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. We all know that this is something Jesus does a lot. He approaches people and he says, follow me. In other words, Jesus is saying, this is what you were created to do. This is what you are supposed to be doing with your life. And so the question for us now then is, okay, is this same call for you and I today? Or was this just a call for the original 12? This idea of following Jesus, of being Jesus' disciple, was that just for the original 12 disciples? Was that just for the people that physically saw Jesus? So we first got to answer that question, is the call for us? And to answer that, we need to look at Matthew chapter 28. The very last verses in Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, the end of the chapter, we see Jesus giving his final instructions to his disciples. He's about to leave, he's about to ascend to heaven, and he gives his final instructions. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19. So Jesus says to his followers, he says, 
All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That word disciple there means learner or follower or student. So basically, Jesus is saying to his original followers, hey, go and make other followers. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, what I've done with you 12 is now supposed to be multiplied. It's supposed to be replicated. That the original call to follow Jesus was not just for 12, but it was the call that would go to all nations, in all people groups, in every time, until Jesus returns. The call to Levi, follow me, is the exact same call that Jesus is giving you and I today, to follow Him. And we see this clearly in the book of Acts. And we won't look at all of the verses today, but if you just turn with me to Acts chapter 11, that was read earlier in our service today. We're going to look at one verse there. Acts chapter 11 gives us a really good indication of is this call to be a disciple, a follower, still alive for us today. Acts chapter 11, verse 26. Now to set the stage for this, this is a couple years after Jesus has ascended into heaven. And the message about Jesus is spreading basically everywhere. They're taking it now to people outside of the Jewish groups. The message is starting to spread. But up to this point, if you read the first 10 chapters of Acts, you will not see the word Christian. Everybody that responded, everybody that entered into the church was what? A disciple. It was either a disciple or they also described as part of the way which was basically describing a people group, a movement that was following after this rabbi Jesus. So everybody was described as a disciple, not just the inner core 12, but everybody was a disciple. That was the call. Now Acts chapter 11, verse 26, and it says, And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. The reason that I point this out, you might think, well, this is okay. This is just so important. It's to recognize that there's not an inner core and an outer core. There's not a first-class Christian and a second-class Christian. There's not a Christian and then you become a disciple. There's one class, disciples. Disciples are Christians. Christians are disciples. You cannot be one without the other. The word Christian means simply slave to Christ. So as we look at the beginning of the church, it was all about what? Making followers of Jesus. The same call that Jesus gave to Levi, the disciples were taking to everyone. The same call is for you and I today to be a disciple, to be a follower. It's basically what we were created to be, followers of Jesus. It's for us today. The reality is, though, it looks different for us today, right? When Levi heard the call, follow me, there was somebody standing there. And so what? Levi left, literally, left everything, and began to live with Jesus. Well, that was a necessity, because if you want to learn about Jesus, if you want to know who Jesus is, there's only one way to do that, and that was to be physically present with him. Well, now the same call comes out to us. We don't physically go somewhere, but Jesus has come to us in his revealed word. He's made himself known to us. He's made his purposes known to us in his word. But the same call is still the same. Follow him. Or in other words, in other words, orient your whole life around Jesus. 
Let the patterns of your living reflect the patterns of Jesus' life. The mechanics are different. We're not leaving our homes. We're not forgetting and just following one person around a countryside. But the Spirit is the same. We're orienting our lives around one person. What does it mean to be a follower? What it means to be a follower is to simply say to Jesus, Jesus, I want your ways to become my ways. Jesus, I want to pattern my life after your life. And this is not new to us. All of us are familiar with this idea of looking up to someone and just kind of imitating them, right? I mean, everybody in this room is a really good imitator. All of us imitate other people all the time. Think back to your school days. What happened? Do what the cool kid does. When you're growing up, where did you learn to do what you did? Mom and dad. I mean, we will go to my house today and you look and you look at my kid, you go, oh, where did she learn that? Why does she have all of her mother's traits? Things. I mean, they just pick up on their parents' things and they just copycat. They imitate them, right? I remember when I was a kid growing up, I used to always say to my dad, Dad, you've got to get rid of some of that video junk in the basement. You've got video stuff everywhere. And I thought, Dad, we're never going to have junk like that everywhere. Well, now if you go to my basement, guess what? One room dedicated to what? Video. It's because we imitate what we know. We're good at it. It's what we do. We find someone, we follow them, we imitate them. So the idea of imitating someone, getting to know them, and putting their ways into practice in our own lives is not a foreign concept. It's something we do all day. So the question is not, are we following? The question is, who are we following? Who are we seeking to imitate? Am I seeking to take the patterns of Jesus and make them active in my life? Or am I taking the patterns of the world and allow them to be active in my life? Jesus extended a command and an invitation to Levi to follow after him. In other words, what Levi began to do was Levi began to learn the teachings of Jesus, began to know the person of Jesus, and sought to imitate Jesus in everything he did. That's what a follower does. It's the call that's out there for you and I today. The call to follow Jesus. It's what we are created to be. The challenge for a lot of us is this. We get so stuck on the where, what, and the when that we all forget about the how. And what I mean by that is this. All of us are so obsessed with the questions of where should we live? Where, where's God's will for us to live? Well, I got news for you this morning. You're not going to find that in here at all. Good luck. I mean, if you do point to somewhere, you're flying to the Middle East. It's just not here. So to answer the question, where am I going to live? You're not going to find it. But what you are going to find here in Jesus' revealed word is you're going to find how to live no matter where you live. And that's what Jesus is concerned about, that we take his patterns of how he lived and we put them in our own lives. So many of us are concerned is, well, what career should I have? What should I do for a job? I got news again. I'm sorry if this is going to stress you out. You're not going to find it. It's not here. Maybe we should be a little less concerned about those specifics, about what we should do for an occupation, and focus more about how do I do 
my occupation. There's plenty in here for how I should be a worker, but there's nothing in here for where I should work. To be a follower of Jesus is to focus a whole lot more on the how. How am I being a banker right now? How am I being a teacher right now? How am I being a customer service representative right now? And following the patterns of Jesus in how we do those things. Jesus was never a banker or a customer service representative, but we will be those things. And in the midst of those things, we're still imitating Christ in how we do those things. This morning, if you're looking to the Bible for who you should marry, I mean, if you pick out the name from in here, you might find someone extremely interesting in the Old Testament. There's no direction here to who, mar- who to marry outside of the characteristics to look for, but the exact person is not here. But there's plenty in here for how you should act in your marriage. Being a follower of Jesus is all about the how. And Jesus gave us plenty of how, of how we're supposed to interact with our enemies, how we're supposed to interact with our friends, how we're supposed to live in the middle of a society that's got evil. And what a follower does, a follower takes the patterns of Jesus and tries to have those patterns evident in their own life. What exactly am I supposed to be doing? What you're supposed to be doing is following Jesus. And it's going to look different for all of us because all of us are in different walks of faith. But how we walk in those different walks of life is the question. Are we resembling the life of Jesus? So this morning, I think it'd be important that we take a moment for self-reflection and ask ourselves the question, am I a follower? Not, am I a Christian? That word has no meaning in our culture today. People fill out applications and surveys all the time. Mark Christian means nothing. The question is, am I a follower, a disciple? This is the call of Christ. So how can I examine my own heart today? Before we even begin to look outside the walls, before we even begin to point the finger at someone else and say to them, hey, get it in line, we should take a magnifying glass to our own hearts and our own minds first and ask ourselves, Am I a follower? So this morning, I just want to encourage you with three questions that maybe you can reflect upon this next week and examine your own heart and your own mind and asking yourself, are you doing exactly what you should be doing? First question, what causes you to boil? What causes you to boil? Second question, what burdens your heart and mind? What burdens your heart and mind? What weighs heavy on you? Third question. How is my life different than my neighbor's life? How is my life different than my neighbor's life? Three questions I'd encourage you to spend some time reflecting upon this next week. Here's here's why I ask these questions is to examine our own hearts and how we answer those questions, then com- look at those answers in comparisons to what we find in Scripture about Jesus. So, for example, what causes you to boil? In other words, 
what just gets you all fired up? Causes you to lose sleep, gets you a little bit angry, gets you stirred up and causes you to want to speak up. Now examine the life of Jesus and say, hey, what caused Jesus to get fired up? Does the same thing that caused Jesus to get fired up cause you to get fired up? Or is there stuff that's causing you to get all riled up that at the end of the day shouldn't rile you up at all? How about what burdens your heart? Ask yourself, hey, what causes me? What, what causes me to, to get down? What causes sadness? What, what causes me to weep? What causes my heart to break and want to do something? And then go back and say, okay, what caused Jesus to weep? What caused Jesus' heart to stir with compassion? There's multiple times in the Scriptures where it says, Jesus moved with compassion. Well, what caused Jesus to move with compassion? What caused Jesus to weep? There's two points in Scripture, at least, that Jesus says Jesus wept in one, and then another one, it talked about Jesus entering Jerusalem, looked at the city, and just his heart was burdened. What's causing you to weep? Is it the exact same things that are burdening the heart of Jesus? And then the third question, how is my life different than my neighbor's life? And you might think, well, what does this have to do with anything? Well, it works like this. I think we'd get a pretty much unanimous vote in here today if I said, does our culture, does our society reflect the Jesus revealed in the Bible? I think it'd be pretty unanimous. Everybody would say, uh, yeah, no, society and culture does not reflect Jesus. Actually, the people that are against Christians even agree with us. Because what do they say? Hey, how about being more like that Christ who you uh, say you follow? So even the non-Christians agree with us that society does not look like Jesus. So therefore, if we're all in agreement on that, everybody's in agreement on that, and you, ask, and you compare your life to the neighbor's life or society in general, and it looks exactly the same, what's that saying? We're not reflecting Jesus. This is simple math here, folks. The if-then statements about back in like middle school and high school, I know some of you skipped those classes. If this is true, then this is true. So if our life looks like our neighbor's lives, then we do not look like the life of Jesus. Our lives should look distinctly different from the lives of our neighbors because we have a different source of authority. The goal of these questions is not to be like, oh, crap, I'm a disaster thing. They're to be helpful to help us reflect and think and do self-refinement and self-refreshment to examine our own hearts. Why? So that we can be healthy to help others. What's the first thing that the lady says on the airplane? You know, they got the oxygen masks pop down. What are you supposed to do first? Put yours on first. And there's a reason for that. If you don't, you can't help anyone else. So maybe this next week is an opportunity for you to reflect and get refreshed so that we ourselves are following Jesus before we go and demand that others follow Jesus as well. The questions are meant to help us get healthy. 
Levi, a tax collector, a tax collector who's unpopular, would be considered very far from God, and would be extremely disliked by the current followers of Jesus and even those not following Jesus. In other words, tax collectors living on an island. This person gets what? An invitation from Jesus. And the invitation from Jesus is this. Follow me. I don't know about you, but our home in the summertime in the month of May, our refrigerator is plastered with invitations. You've got invitations to graduations and, and weddings. And right, how many of those invitations have you responded to? There's two things that cause us to respond to an invitation. First, the identity of the one sending the invitation. If it's someone that we like, someone that we care about, we're probably excited to respond. The second thing that causes us to respond is usually what? The hounding of the inviter. The email. Hey, I haven't heard anything from your family. Anybody coming from your family? Hey, haven't heard anything from you or your wife. Anybody just checking in? Right? They're either going to hound us to get a response or there's going to be a response because of the identity of the one inviting. Think about the identity of the one extending the invitation today. The invitation to follow. The identity of the one extending the invitation is the King of Kings. He's the Lord of the Lords. He's the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe. He's the one who's given His life on our behalf. This is the one extending an invitation. If I extended an invitation to you this week to go to lunch with me, you're probably like, okay, now we got to go to some greasy pizza place. Not exactly popular. But if you get an invitation today from the President of the United States for lunch, no matter what your political inclination is, you're responding to the invitation because of the identity of the one inviting. Well, this morning, there's being an invitation made. And the one making that invitation is God Himself, who came to earth in the man Jesus and went around inviting people into a life of following after Him. This morning, that exact same invitation is made to you and I. An invitation to be who we were created to be. An invitation to do what our lives were meant to do. Glorify God by following Jesus. Guess what? The identity of the inviter doesn't get any better. But then, you know what? The inviter is kind of a hound. Some call him the hound of heaven. The inviter will not stop. As God's Word tells us, he is patient not wanting anyone to perish. The hound will not stop the invitation process. This morning, the invitation is going out to you. And while there's an invitation, there's also a proclamation made at the exact same time. You're not just being invited, but there's being something declared over you. And that which is being declared over you is this. You're forgiven. How else could this tax collector accept the invitation? This tax collector was completely opposed to God. This tax collector 
was hated by everyone. This tax collector was ruining people's lives. This tax collector did not deserve the invitation. So how can it be that this tax collector experienced a transformed life? It's because when he received an invitation, he also received a declaration that there is forgiveness in Jesus. So the invitation is not dependent upon the goodness of us, but it's dependent upon the one extending the invitation. And this morning, I want to invite you to come and experience the declaration, your sins are forgiven. Come and receive the invitation to follow after Him. Are you doing the very thing that you should be doing in your life right now? Maybe you don't have handcuffs on. Maybe you're not in the back of a police car. But we still should examine our own hearts and answer the question, am I being who God created me to be? Come and receive the forgiveness of sins. Come and experience the invitation to follow after Jesus. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give thanks today for the declaration of the forgiveness of sins. We give thanks today for the invitation that you've extended to us. God, I pray this morning for anyone who's struggling in their own heart, struggling in their own mind, who knows they have not been who they were created to be. God, I ask this morning that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would refresh them. That you would grant them the necessary faith to receive you. And Lord, today we ask that you would refine all of us, that you would empower all of us, to be your disciples. We thank you for your patience with us and your continual kindness. We ask now, O oh Lord, as we turn our hearts and our minds to receive your body and your blood, we ask that you would take your body and your blood and nourish us this morning. We ask that you take your body and your blood this morning and refresh us, refine us, and restore us to relationship with you and one another. Examine our hearts and our minds now. In Jesus' name, amen.